Hi, everyone. Donovan here, along with my wife, Heidi. Uh, we give leadership to Common Ground Church, Constantiburg. It's awesome to be with you this morning. Here's a little pic of our family, our girls, uh, Rachel, five, and Rebecca, three. And uh, we're as well as can be expected in these times. We've also recently had some additions to our family, which is, uh, I try to hold out as long as I could, but we finally got our two little kittens. Uh, that's Pebbles and Pilchard. I can't really explain Pilchard and how it came about, but we're there and uh, it kind of just happened to us. But I get the privilege today of wrapping up the Origins series. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've allowed it to form you. It really has been a kind of foundation, foundational seven weeks as we've looked at some of the most important questions of life. We have looked at the origin of the world, humanity, work, gender and marriage, and evil. Answering questions like, where do we come from? Why are we here? What went wrong in the world? These are the kind of questions that reveal to us what we truly believe about ourselves and the world in which we live. They form our worldview. And our worldview, what we truly believe about the world and our place in the world, that, that's what gives birth to our thoughts, our decisions, our actions. And my hope for you is that throughout this series, throughout Origins, the Bible is having increasing authority and impact on your worldview. I think the nature of the series has been helpful for you, whether you're a, a Christ follower or maybe you wouldn't yet consider yourselves a Christ follower. Often we like to think that we, we know what the biblical or Christian view is on some of these important questions of life. But actually, we quickly discover that what we believe, that what, we, what we're trusting in, in our hearts has been hugely impacted and blended with culture. And so it's been good to go back to the primary sources of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 to find some answers to life. Now, if you wouldn't consider yourselves a Christ follower, let me start by saying, welcome. Great to have you here. Make yourself at home. See what I did there? I know you are at home on the couch all comfy. I want to ask you, I wonder how you make sense of your life. Is there congruency to your worldview? I think one of the things that COVID has done is put pressure on our lives and, and how we make sense of our world. And I want to ask you, does your worldview stand up to the complexity and intricacies of this life? You know, as a Bible-believing Christ follower, I believe that only the Bible, only its revelation of, of a heavenly father who not only created me, but loves me and wants to redeem and rescue me from a broken world truly makes sense of my life. And I believe the same for you. And my hope for you is that you'll discover the love of the one who made you, that he cares for you and he longs to give you life and life to the full. What I get to speak to us today is gonna to impact every single one of our lives. Guaranteed, no exceptions. It's the, second part, uh, it's the second part answer to the question, what has gone wrong with the world? When we think about what's gone wrong with the world, two main themes rise to the top. The first is the problem of evil. And Luke so brilliantly looked at that last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to go check it out. It speaks about the horror or suffering that we experience in our lives through either our own actions or the actions of others. The second answer to the question, what has gone wrong with the world, is the pro problem of suffering that comes from events like tsunamis, 
disease, illness, miscarriage, famine, drought, natural disasters, and the like. It's the kind of suffering that when, when boiled down to its essence, to its very core, speaks about the problem of death in our world. We struggle to, to understand and accept death and all the pain and suffering it brings into our lives and into our world. I think of things like cancer or more recently COVID that's brought us closer to death. Maybe we've had to start facing our own mortality in some way. Yet today I get to speak to us about the origin of death. I'm going to get to our text a little bit later, but let me read it for now. Genesis 2 verse 16, it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then Genesis 3 verse 15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So before I carry on with the message, let me just stop for a second. As a, as a pastor, I recognize that, that this is more than just a, a topic or a biblical equipping moment for so many of us. It's actually deeply personal. For many of you, it might actually be quite, quite anal, quite raw for the space that you find yourself in. Maybe you've experienced a miscarriage, the death of a child, a loved one, even, even a really close friend. Maybe you're facing uh, your own death through illness or the death of a loved one. I just want to stop and acknowledge your pain. Truth be told, this message isn't going to be able to take away the, the pain that you're experiencing, the grief that you're experiencing. I mean, that needs to be processed over time with friends as you, as you share life, tears, and time together, listening, supporting, encouraging each other. But that being said, I think there is some help for you today. I think I, I, I'm going to help make sense of your experience by looking at the biblical origin of death. Before I carry on, if, if you find yourself in that, that Aina raw space facing your own mortality, I want to point you to two resources that I believe will really help you. The first is a, is a book by Tim Keller. Here's the cover of the Kindle edition. It, it's quite a short book, really worth a read. And at the end of the book, there's two appendix, appendixes that speak words of encouragement and have a, a seven-day-long journey for you if you're, you're either facing your own possible death or facing the death of a loved one. And I trust that'll, that'll minister to you. And then the second one is an article that Tim Keller wrote. And what's fascinating about this article, it speaks about his own journey. Not long after releasing this book, he's diagnosed himself with pancreatic cancer. And he speaks through his own personal journey of coming to terms with his own mortality. I want to stop for a moment, and I just want to pray for you if, if you find yourself in a very, really vulnerable space this morning. Pray with me. Our Father God, we, we want to come before you acknowledging uh, the space that many people watching this may find themselves in, facing, facing death, facing uh, their own mortality, God, the, the fear, the possible anxiety, uncertainty about the future. Father God, I want to pray in these moments that, that you would, they would experience your comfort, your nearness, that your spirit would envelop them with a, a sense of your love and kindness toward them.
pray, God, that as I, I speak this morning, that there would be understanding, that there would be courage, that there would be peace that flows into their lives, into all of our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at the origin of death, and I want to answer three questions today. One, are we in denial about death? Two, where does death come from? And three, is there any hope for us in the face of death? And then I've got three areas of application or impact for us. And a quick shout out to Tim Keller, Andrew Wilson, who really helped me put this message together. Okay, our first question, are we in denial about death? It might seem like an odd question to ask, but I, but I want to ask it because I want us to see that our relationship with death is actually quite complex and complicated. The answer to the question is strangely yes and no. Knowing that I think we can all acknowledge that one day we're going to die, even if it's just on an intellectual level. But yes, we are living in a sense of denial because we struggle to talk about death, to come to terms with and even accept the reality of our own deaths. If I ask you to say out loud these words, I am going to die, how does it make you feel? A little strange, uncomfortable, foreign maybe? What about if you heard your spouse or a loved one or a really close friend say those words, I am going to die? might fill you with anxiety, even, even fear, even anger can rise to the top. You see, although as a culture we understand that we're going to die, we don't like to talk about it or face the true reality of it. It's become somewhat of a modern day taboo or unmentionable. Think about even the language we use. We like to speak of someone passing away, going to a better place, or that they're no longer with us. We don't like to say they've died. It's not that we only don't like to think about death, we, we don't know how to plan for it. As a culture, we actually have very few tools to help us process and cope with death. In fact, it's been said that modern people are more unrealistic and unprepared for death than any generation before it. But why is this? What causes us to live in this kind of functional denial of death? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. I just want to mention three. So firstly, it's the blessing of modern medicine. Modern medicine and science have relieved us of so many of the, of the causes of early death that earlier generations you know, had to endure. And it's not a bad thing, please hear me, it's the blessing of modern medicine. I read an article that Stats SA released in 2014 stating that the average life expectancy was 61 up from an estimated 52 in 2005. That's a nine-year increase in life expectancy over nine years. And then a dramatic increase was put down to a number of factors, the two biggest being the impact of antiretroviral therapy and the decrease in infant mortality rates. Now, I know in a, in, a, in a country like South Africa with so much inequality, that doesn't represent everyone, but it does reveal to us the truth that modern medicine is having a radical impact on our life expectancy. I mean, think about the advancement in cancer treatment, surgery, early detection. Here's something else to think about. Perhaps more than any generation before us, it's pretty normative to grow up never seeing or watching someone die, or even catching a glimpse of a course, even in a coffin. 
And more than ever before, you see, people tend to, to decline or die either in hospitals or hospices away from the eyes of others. And this causes us death to kind of stay at arm's length from us. You know, we cling to and share life with others so strongly and so freely. But when it comes to death, we tend to be more removed and it tends to be isolated from us. Well, here's the second reason that we live in functional denial of death. It's, it's this world happiness. You know, it's increasingly difficult for us to deal with and face death as a culture because the meaning and purpose of life is increasingly being wrapped up in this world happiness. You know, in most cultures and previous generations, people of all faiths and societies found meaning and purpose beyond what we can see and experience with our five senses. So think about reincarnation, for example, living to ultimately escape its cycle and enter into eternal bliss or to shed the illusion of the world and return to oneness with the universe. What about going to heaven when you die or living an honorable life and so being received by your ancestors in death? See, all of these belief systems have something in common. They are otherworldly. In other words, death cannot steal them. Death cannot impact or destroy these true uh, meanings and purposes of life that they represent. You know, as our culture continues on its path to secularism, where the existence of God is questioned or marginalized to fantasy or, or deformed to fit ourselves and our ideas about the world, we find ourselves facing a huge problem. When we start to remove God from the picture, our purpose and meaning in life can only be found in this world, what we can experience and taste and see. So we see increased consumerism, the pursuit of pleasure, leisure, personal fulfillment, wealth, as people attach purpose and meaning to material things. And of course, here's the problem for us. Death becomes the ultimate enemy of meaning and purpose. It destroys, has the power to destroy all that we hold dear. Death becomes more frightening, more difficult to accept and deal with. It causes us to functionally live in denial of death. You see, even modern medicine can't really save us from death. It simply delays the inevitable. Death comes to all people. It was George Bernard Shaw who said, uh, the statistics on death are staggering. One out of every one people die. Someone else said that all the wars and plagues have never raised the death toll. It's always been one for each and every person. Can I just speak to Christ followers for a second. Uh, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we're not impacted by our culture. I want to call us as Christ followers to be sober about our own view and, and relationship with death. Tim Keller, he writes that article I referred to about when he was personally diagnosed with cancer. And he had to take a hard look at not only what his, he professes to believe, in other words, what he believes about God in his heart, he also had to really examine what he actually understands about God and, and, and his level of trust here at a heart level where he actually makes his decisions out of which his emotions and decisions and well-being actually flow. You see, what we, what we know in our heads and what we trust in and understand in our hearts are not always the same thing. And so I think we need to be realistic of the, the impact of, of the blessing of modern day medicine, the impact of this world happiness on our own relationship with death as Christ follows. Otherwise, we end up living in this functional denial of death ourselves. Okay, let me push a little deeper here. 
Why do we struggle with death? Well, thirdly, death is an unwelcomed invader. And here C.S. Lewis can really help us understand why death is such a shock to us, why it always seems to catch us off guard. He says this, we are so little concerned to time that we're astonished by it. How he's grown, we exclaim, how time flies as though the universal form of our experience were again and again a novelty. He's saying, although we all experience time across the world, it seems to always catch us as something special and unique and strange. It is as strange as if a fish were repeatedly surprised at the wetness of water. And that would be strange indeed, unless, of course, the fish were destined to become one day a land animal. So he surmises, C.S. Lewis, that humanity struggles so much with death because we're somehow convinced that it shouldn't be part of the human experience. He goes on to say, it suggests that we have not always been or will not always be purely temporal creatures. It suggests we were created for eternity. Not only are we harried by time, we seem unable, despite a thousand generations, even to get used to it. We are always amazed by it, how fast it goes, how slowly it goes, how much of it is gone. Where we cry, has time gone? We aren't adapted to it, not at home in it. If that is so, it may appear as a proof or at least a powerful suggestion that eternity exists and is our home. We live in denial of death because it is an unwelcomed invader. That's why it brings so much pain and, and suffering. That's why it's so devastating and difficult. It truly is a tragedy and a reality that isn't meant to be part of our human experience. And actually, this is the biblical and Christian view of death. Death is the ultimate unwelcomed invader. It's the biggest gatecrasher to human experience, the most devastating intruder into our beautifully and wonderfully created world. Okay, let me answer our second question then. Where does death come from? I realize it's taken me a while to get there, but let's open our Bibles to those first few pages. Genesis 2.16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. I mean, the scripture tells us that death comes from disobedience. Physical death, the separation of soul and body, follows spiritual death, the separation of people from God. And it's not a reference to instant physical death. Death is set in motion. So the language used here, you will surely die, is, is a judgment or a verdict. It's the pronouncement of the death penalty over humanity because of their sin. Think, if you want, uh, of a deadly snake bite, a snake biting you on the heel. If you were bitten by a deadly snake, you, you wouldn't lose your life immediately, but the poison would begin its work in your body. It would work its way through, and ultimately it would have its final consequence, death. And that's what, what physical death is. It's a consequence of sin in our lives. I mean, listen to these other scriptures. For the wages of sin is death, says Romans 6. Romans 5, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Romans 5 reminds us that it's not only the sin of our ancestors that's to blame. No, no, we all continue to sin, and so death continues to come to us all. The poison of sin brings death, the final consequence of sin. It's not part of God's creative intent for us. 
You know, if you read Genesis 5, it's not difficult to pick up the author's intention. It's actually quite jarring. Genesis 5, it's a, it's a, um, a genealogy and it carries a refrain like, like any song would. It says, Adam lived so many years and then that refrain comes, and then he died. And -and so-and-so lived so many years, and then he died. And it goes on and on, that refrain, and then he died. Death truly is the unwelcomed invader of the human experience. Okay, let's get to, to answering our third question. Is there any hope for us in the face of death? Maybe an illustration can help us at this point. You see, our struggle with the the pain and suffering that death brings into our lives can really impact how we view God. So imagine a train going off the tracks. You know, everyone is rocked, coffee spilt, newspapers are flying all over the place. Now, if in that moment you looked at the train, you could say to yourself, how could a loving designer design a train like this? No, that's, they didn't design it to be like that. It's designed to be on the tracks, yet the driver took it off the tracks. And now there are all sorts of consequences for the people on the train. The reason people have been separated from their seats is because the train's been separated from the tracks. A loving God didn't design the world to go off the tracks. He made us for perfect communion with God, to find our life and our meaning in Him. We don't look at it and say there's no loving God that designed it. What we should do is ask ourselves what went wrong and try and figure out how to get things back on track. So is there any hope for us in the face of death? Absolutely. If death is a consequence of sin, then we need to deal with our sin in order to overcome death. So we read this first half of this text earlier. Here's the second half. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Bible teaches us that in Christ Jesus, death has been overcome, that in Christ Jesus, we have been given the gift of eternal life. Well, let's turn to Hebrews. In verse two, chapter two, verse 10, it says, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, the Greek word author can also be translated maybe pioneer or champion. And in fact, the biblical scholar William Lane, he goes with the word champion, someone who engages in representative battles. So think of David and Goliath. They fought as champions for their respective armies. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. He took on our greatest enemy, sin and death, on our behalf. Yet unlike David, Jesus didn't just risk his life, he gave his life for us. And in this great act of love, Jesus defeated sin and its ultimate consequence, death on our behalf. Remember those words, when you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, Jesus fulfills our death sentence as our substitute. The sting of sin is death. But praise God, the poison went to Jesus. So way back in Genesis 3, we catch a glimpse of God's rescue plan. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God's cursing the serpent for its role in the fall of humanity, acknowledging the the poison of sin as, as sin strikes our heel, it'll bring death. But he also points out the truth that ultimately the curse of sin will be destroyed 
as Jesus Christ will crush Satan's head. You see, unlike us, Jesus was a man without sin. He had perfect love for God, perfect love for others. And so death could not hold him. I mean, Acts 2 verse 24, we read, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Is there any hope for us in the face of death? Yes, Jesus has conquered sin and death on our behalf. His resurrection is the first But the Bible promises that all who place their faith in the rescuing work of Jesus will be guaranteed the same grace of resurrection life. So although these mortal bodies, these earth suits, as my friend Colin likes to say, they'll still die, but eternity has been set in motion. Not only when we die, but the moment we place our faith in Jesus, eternity has begun for us. The poison of sin goes to Jesus and we remain alive in God. And we'll receive new heavenly glorified bodies at the coming of the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus wraps up history as we know it. I mean, look at the lovely language of this text in 1 Corinthians. It speaks about those who've died in Christ and refers to them as simply having fallen asleep. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. I just love this verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus Christ's final act of victory will be the defeat and the destruction of the unwelcomed invader of death into our human experience. The destruction and reign of death is temporary. Next weekend is Easter, and it's so exciting. We get to, as Christians, and that's that time of, in the Christian calendar where we get to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. We get to celebrate the lengths that Christ went to, that God went to, to rescue us from sin, to, to relieve us of the, the poison of sin that brings death. Okay, so I've answered these three questions. Are we in denial about death? Where does death come from? Is there any hope for us in the face of death? Let me make three applications. Firstly, I want to say, plan for death. Let me start by speaking to you. Maybe you're not yet a Christ follower. Maybe you're looking into the claims of Jesus. Can I ask you, what is your plan for the inevitability of your death? Perhaps you're gambling that death is the end. Well, it is a big gamble, all things considered. My encouragement for you is to be open to the possibility that when your body returns to the dust, that it's not actually the end of you. I would like to challenge you to find more out about Jesus, to to do some more reading and start with some of the primary sources of information. I want to encourage you to start reading the Gospel of John and go from there. Or maybe you can even download an Ignite booklet that you may hear about, the 31-day journey into the Bible. Maybe you believe that if you've led a good life, that it'll be enough to see you enter heaven. I mean, I think when death comes closer, we start to realize that, that maybe we haven't lived as good as life as we thought we had. Maybe we haven't even really come close to being really good, maybe compared to, to some others. But when we think about our own potential and our own ability to, to be and do good, we've probably fallen short. Well, Christianity is unique in that it doesn't leave you to face death on your own, you know, holding up your own life and achievements and goodness and and hoping that it's enough. 
Instead, Christianity gives you a champion who has defeated death, who pardons you and covers you with his love. You face death in him with his perfect record held up over your life. To the degree you believe and embrace that, you'll be released from the power of death. My encouragement for you is to get right with God. So let me speak to all of us for a second on a practical level. Have you ever considered writing a letter for those who would be left, um, left behind if you were to pass away unexpectedly? I mean, Luke shared with me a story of a, of a mother who unexpectedly passed away. And uh, as her children were going through her belongings, they opened her Bible and inside the Bible, they found these letters that she had written to them. And the amount of encouragement and the amount of meaning that these letters had to their kids was life transforming. Maybe we consider doing something like that. There's other practicals we can do. Let's make sure our affairs in order. Let's make sure all our important documents are in one place, that we have a will, that we have a financial and relational plan for our kids. Maybe even consider your own funeral. Okay, number two, allow death to inform your life. This is a a radical scripture, Ecclesiastes 7.2. It says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. In other words, he's saying, better for you to go to a funeral than a party, because every single one of us are going to face death. So here's a line from Tim Keller's book. Rather than living in fear of death, we should see it as spiritual smelling salts that awaken us out of our false belief that we will live forever. We must allow the reality of death to inform our lives. I mean, just this weekend on Saturday, uh, last Saturday, I went to the memorial service of Ray Brooks, a man who came to faith, faith later in life, but lived his last 20 to 25 years, radically sold out to God, radically longing to, to serve God, to love people, to do all that God called him to do. And I tell you, as I sat and I watched and I listened, I felt my heart being churned up being stirred to love God more, to live with eternity in mind. So let's do it. Let's live with eternity in mind. Let's let's see through the whims, the trends, the fleeting trappings of our culture and see God who's at the beginning of our lives, who's at the end of our lives. And let's live with that in mind. I think as I reflect on death, I think about my parenting. I want my kids to be ready for my death one day, or, or the death of a close person to them. I mentioned earlier that my kids are five and three. Now, my, my five-year-old experienced death when my aunt passed away from cancer a few years ago, but my three-year-old was a bit young. But recently, she experienced something that was very traumatic for a three-year-old. One of our kittens died, and it was very difficult for her to come to terms with and to, to understand. This is a brilliant example for me, knowing that I'm preaching on death, which helped to come alongside her and to start to speak to her and explain to her what death is and how it works. You know, we had a memorial, we prayed, we chatted that day and over the next few days and weeks, and we still continue to have these conversations about death. And I want as a parent to make sure my kids understand the reality of the inevitable in all of our lives. Another thing to consider is evangelistic living. I mean, as Christ followers, one of the most loving and caring things we can do is introduce people to Jesus and prepare them for their inevitable death. And here's here's a last uh, application for us, and that's don't allow fear to overtake you. 
there are times when, when I find myself really afraid of death. You know, becoming a parent hasn't made it any easier. From time to time, I find myself having to actively fight off the fear of death, the fear of an untimely departure in my view. I have to remind myself of the truth of Psalm 139, that the days of my life are numbered before even one of them comes to pass. I have to remind myself that no one lives a day longer than God has ordained and not a day less. We have to trust in our Father. Okay, here's the, the final and third big impact on us is train yourself to grieve, with, to grieve death with hope. This is a powerful evidence of who we are as the people of God, the kind of community that we are. It's one of the biggest things that separate us from the world. 1 Thessalonians 4, it's, 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 it teaches us that Christians, Christ followers, have remarkable resources to cope and deal with death. Let's read it together, verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. What Paul is saying is that we must grieve hopefully. You know, is Paul just calling us to balance here? You know, he's saying, you know, you can cry or feel sad, but not too much. You know, you can be hopeful, but not too much. Just find the middle ground. I don't think so. I think he's calling us to train ourselves as Christ followers to a balanced combination of two extremes. I mean, he doesn't say, don't grieve. Death is grievous. Our great enemy, the great invader into creation, we must grieve death. I think of Jesus in John 11, when Lazarus, his friend, passes away, that Jesus weeps at death, at the, the destruction of death. But, but he also say, instead of grieving, I want you to, to just have hope. Now He says we're to grieve with hope. See, grieving is healthy and good, but it can cause a bitterness to grow in us. It can cast a, a shadow over all of our lives. It can stifle all joy unless it's seasoned with hope. Jesus conquered death. We're assured of resurrection. That is our hope. You know, we tend to see grief and hope as opposites, but Paul doesn't. He says when we grieve and rage in the face of death, when we experience the pain and the tragedy of death, we respond we're responding appropriately to the evil of death. But Christians have a hope that can be rubbed into our sorrow and anger as salt is rubbed into meat. And Christianity promises not only a spirit future or a spirit only future, but, but we know we look forward to a renewed heaven and earth, a perfected material world from which all suffering and tears, disease, evil, injustice and death have been eliminated. We're going to walk, eat, hug, and be hugged. We're going to love. We're going to sing because we're going to have vocal cords and we're going to do all this in degrees of joy, excellence, satisfaction, beauty, and power that now we cannot even imagine. We're going to eat and drink with the Son of Man. And this is the final defeat of death. George Herbert says, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel makes him just a gardener. Death used to be able to crush us. But now all death can do is plant us in God's soil so we become something extraordinary. Okay, let me, let me wrap up the message. We've answered three big questions. We've pulled out three reflections 
uh, or impacts for us. And let me close with this one story and I'll pray for us. It goes like this. Donald Gray Barnhouse was the minister of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia when his wife, only in her late 30s, died of cancer, leaving him with four children under the age of 12. When driving with his children to the funeral, a large truck pulled uh, past them in the left lane, casting its shadow over them. You see the picture of them sitting in a car and this truck coming by, casting a shadow over this. Barnhouse asked all in the car, would you rather be run over by the truck or the shadow of the truck? And his 11-year-old answered straight away, the shadow, of course. Their father concluded, well, that's what has happened to your mother. Only the shadow of death has passed over her because death itself ran over Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, as we consider these truths, as we consider your, your truth revealed in Scripture, God, that you would allow it to, to form and shape us. God, that we would be transformed, that you would change the way we think that you would transform our emotions, that you would form our attitude to living as we consider the truth about dying. And God, that we would live our one and only lives with eternity in mind. God, that you would free us from the fear of death. God, that you would remind us that the sting of death has lost its power. The poison has gone to Jesus. And God, we continue to think of those who are, who are possibly facing death or the death of a loved one. God, that you would continue to surround them, continue to speak to them, fill them with your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.